to the, the main message, I want to take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. The scriptures say, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Now, have you ever, I mean, everybody here has had a father, whether you knew your father, whether your father was a godly father who led you in the truth, or whether he was an absent father or an abusive father. Each one of us has a father of some sort. Um, and we as human beings, it is understandable that we human fathers fall short. And we sometimes, therefore, have a hard time thinking about God as our father and trying to compare what the Bible says about God being our father with our earthly understanding of what a father is. You know, some of us are fathers. You know full well how hard it is to be a father, how hard it was to, to rear your children and all the failures and the struggles and the things you wish you did differently, but there are some things that you know you did right according to the scriptures. You know you meant well, even if things didn't go the way you would hope they would go. You know that you loved your children. You know that. And we know from the scriptures that we have, even though your father, your earthly father may be gone, maybe he has passed away already, but we are all, we are not orphans, for we still have a father. And this morning I just want to spend a few minutes glorifying God, the father. And in this passage we see this statement in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We see a contrast. Whenever you see that word, but, you know, chances are that's going to provide a contrast. There's this way and then there's that way. And here we see we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, why would a slave fear? A slave fears a master. A slave fears the hard, heavy hand of an angry master. But the Bible is saying we, don't, we, we weren't given that in Christ. That's not the spirit that we're supposed to be walking around in. Why? We have been given a spirit, a spirit that we can cry with, Abba, Father, because we have a Father who loves us, and every single thing that he does in our life is in some way, whether we can see it or not, good. As, as an earthly father, I will admit, not everything that I do is for the good of my children. Sometimes I make choices that are simply for the good of myself. I'll just come out and say it, and I have to repent of those things. 
Because we're not supposed to walk with that kind of a spirit where we're self-centered. That's not the will of God for fathers. But I do it. God, the Father, is glorified when he loves his children. Yeah, he is to be glorified in everything. And he is glorified first and foremost by his benevolent, tender love to us. And when we see that in scripture, we know that we can use this term of endearment. Abba, Father, a term of complete rest and satisfaction where you have no fear. You have no trembling that God is going to one day hate you and crush you and call you out for all the sins and calling your debts like perhaps we might fear from a lender. The debt has been paid. We don't need to fear that. We know we have the Father's love. We don't need to fear His anger and His wrath anymore when we are in Christ, when we are the sons of God. You know, in the Scriptures it says in the Psalms and in First Peter, or Second Peter, that a day, a thousand years with God is like a day. And you can see, you can look at that for a second. We're not going to be alive in this body for a thousand years. So how could we really know that? <laughs> you know, not even the oldest man on earth lived to, a thousand, lived, to, lived to be a thousand years. Methuselah died in the upper 900s. <laughs> you know, so how could we even know a thousand years with the Lord is like a day? Well, one day we will be able to know that, right? We're going to die. and We're going to go to heaven one day. Those of us who are the sons of God. And there will be times where we sit at the foot, at the feet of God, and time just flies. And before we even know it, a thousand years went by, and it just felt like a day. Why? Because we are fully at rest with God. What? We, in this life, are so busy. We're so impatient. We're so scattered. We've got to go do this. We've got to go do that. We've got to make things happen. We've got to go do business. We've got to build things. We've got to tear down things. We always have something to do in order to satisfy something. Whether it's a desire or a job, there's always something left undone. But one day, this God that we can cry Abba Father to today, we're going to be in His presence and we're going to be fully complete, fully satisfied, fully at rest. We won't need to rush here, rush there, do that, do this, complete this, complete that. Not that there won't be things to do. But we are, because of the way the Father is, we're going to have times where we simply sit at His feet and time just flies. <laughs> and its time is going to be there, but it's going to be meaningless. Oh, a thousand years just went by? Oh, didn't miss out on anything. I was at the feet of God. <laughs> oh, I could have been doing this, but oh well. I guess I can do that over the next thousand years. <laughs> it's enough to be at the, in the presence of my my good Father. And we thank God. We bless God. And let's take, let's remember who God is and how good God is to us and stop taking ourselves so seriously. Let us learn to be patient. Let us learn to wait at the feet of God even while we live and find satisfaction in our Father, find rejoicing in our Father and just let the world pass away sometimes, you know. Yeah, we've got things to do, but sometimes we just need to let the world pass away while we enjoy the presence of our good Father. And that's my appeal to us. You know, this wasn't exactly about you, fathers, 
Some of it was, a little bit was. But I just want to glorify our Father today together. I mean, it's Father's Day. Why do we have to focus on ourselves? Let's focus on our Father in heaven. And let, let your kids focus on you. <laughs> let your Father, let, why don't you focus on your Father in heaven? Because he is your Father. It's Father's Day. Give him that honor. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, if you would. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to continue our series through Matthew, and we're all the way to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Um, and a couple of weeks, three weeks ago now, I think, we dealt with the last paragraph of chapter 9 as it served as a segue between the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and all the things that he was doing and teaching, the ministry that he had in this world. Now he's in verse 30, from, 30, from verses 35 to 37, 38, it's a segue, it's a transitional passage connecting us, connecting the life and the ministry of Christ and the authority of Christ and the power of Christ that has been put on display for several chapters and now he's transitioning into a passage where he is calling his disciples to himself and sending them out in his authority. We've been seeing who Christ is, what Christ is capable of, what his mission is, what his purpose is, his service, his preaching, his teaching, his ministering. And now in this passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to see him transition that over to us. He's going to call us into the work that he is doing Many of us wrongly live our lives and are, we pray our prayers as though we're trying to call God to come into our mission, into our life. When we have to see from Scripture that Jesus has called us into His life. We may not see our prayers answered because we have no interest in that kind of a life. We have no interest in joining Christ in His mission. We just want Christ to join us in ours. We have to see this today, that Jesus is calling his disciples, which in this passage, in this set in time, are the twelve. But this is not just stuck in time. This passage doesn't just stick in Matthew chapter 10 and never actually bleed into our modern day. Nothing in scripture is like that. Everything bleeds into our souls. Everything in scripture is timeless in one way or another. Unlike some of our furniture, which needs to be replaced, this passage does not need to be replaced. It applies to us today, and we're going to look at that. But let's start. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, all the way down to verse 15, and we're going to, we're going to make our way through as much of this as we can. I kind of have a feeling we're not going to make it all the way through this passage, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to walk through here. Matthew 10 verse 1 says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or or two tunics or sandals, or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our spirits that we might see according to the power of your spirit, the teaching of of your spirit, who is the great teacher, who is the great enlightener. Lord, show us what you mean here. Show us what you're trying to communicate to us through this passage. May we see past the ink on the page and see what is your intent. What are you trying to teach us? What is Jesus trying to get across to his disciples? Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look here, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples. Now this could be just a, um, a general passage, how Jesus called one by one the twelve disciples to come follow him. Or it could simply mean that he gathered them together for a, an intimate meeting where he's about to do something with them. He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, we've heard stories, we've watched television episodes where people are performing miraculous wonders. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you one way or another whether that's from God or not. With some people, you can see by the fruits of their life that God is not with them. But there are some people doing signs and wonders, and I am not going to judge those people. But in this passage, we see here that when Jesus gave his apostles, and we notice that uh, Matthew refers to them as apostles, uh, because he's writing this when he became an apostle. He was, Jesus has already risen and ascended into heaven, called them to be apostles. Perhaps many years have gone by. Matthew is an apostle. He's talking about the calling of the apostles rather than necessarily just the disciples. Um, that's in verse 2. In verse 1, he calls them disciples. Um, and he gave them, Jesus gave them authority. Think about that for a second. We have seen over the last couple, few chapters, the authority of Christ put on display how he has been casting out demons. That's a supernatural feat. That's something that can only come from God. He has been healing sicknesses. Jesus was not a doctor. He was not using oils and herbs and bandages and, and things like that. He's not setting, setting bones and rejointing joints. He's not a doctor. He's a carpenter. He grew up learning how to form wood, not bodies. But he's been healing Sicknesses on the spot. No recovery time needed. How many of you would like that? Sometimes the surgery is scary, but the recovery time is really what gets you. No surgery, no recovery time, just a miracle from heaven. 
Jesus has been doing that. He actually even rose, what's the word, raised? A girl from the dead, raised? Okay. (laughs) It's been a while since I took an English class. Raised a little girl from the dead? And Jesus is saying, Matthew is saying that Jesus is now passing this heavenly authority over to simple, unlearned, untrained people. I mean, that in itself is a miracle. This authority was not given to everybody. Who was it given to? His disciples. Those who followed him. Those who followed him are those whom he is sending forth. We must get past this idea that it is simply enough to follow and just obey the rules. Jesus sends his disciples forth. It is not simply our work to stop sinning, okay? Yeah, that's a good thing. But many of us live our lives being content trying to be a good person, right? Trying to be a good person, trying to do what's right, trying to be the good neighbor. And we're good with that. We think that we're fulfilling the law of God and the will of Christ by simply trying to be a good person. But in this passage, we see that when somebody is following Jesus, he sends them forth. He gives them his mission on this earth. And we're going to see a bit of his mission in the next several verses, but let's get through this real quick. Um, in Matthew um, 28, 18 to 20, if you want to flip over a few pages and look with me, Matthew 28, 18, to tw- 18 and 20, we're not going to read all the verses, but it says here, and Jesus came and said to them, okay, again, he's talking to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? So Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. How much authority is that? What is... (laughs) All the authority. I mean, we think about authority as something related to a particular circle here on the earth. The President of the United States has authority in the United States. He doesn't necessarily have authority over China or Afghanistan. We can try to claim authority over those things, and that's why we go to war, and that's why we try to, people try to dominate other people, because we're trying to gain authority in places we don't yet have authority. But Jesus is saying, I, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. We think that we have rule over so much but we, for, we neglect to see the authority that Christ has over everything, everywhere. We cannot go anywhere where Jesus does not have authority. And then in verse 20, he says, um, and the, at the end, the second half of the verse, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, this one who has authority over everything is with you is with his disciples. Notice that last term, even until the end of the age. We talked about that timeless thing, right? He's not just talking to the twelve. He is talking to his disciples throughout the end of the age. That would include those of us sitting in here who are Christ's, who are the sons of the Father on high. 
We are those who are included in that timeline, in that dash that goes to the end of the age. He is with us. He has that authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And he is with us to perform the will of God for us throughout the end of the age. He's not going anywhere. Disciples come and go, but Jesus is with them all. He was with the disciples in the last century, in the century before that, in the century before that. The same Jesus that worked through people like um, George Whitfield or, or Jonathan Edwards and other Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, John Calvin. It's the same Jesus that is with you. He has the same message. He has the same power. He has the same authority now as he had then. And the same Jesus that Jonathan Edwards have has, you have. You have him. Now, the, now what I'm telling you is not with the intent of you taking yourself more seriously. You need to take your Jesus more seriously. Because he is the power. You are not the power. A lot of times we read quotations like, I can do all three things through Christ who strengthens me. We read the I first and foremost. And that, that I is capitalized I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's all about me and me feeling powerful, me feeling capable and able. But really, it's all according to the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ is the one that lifted up people like Jonathan Edwards to have the influence that they had. Or Charles Spurgeon. Or a, number, or a myriad of other people that we could quote off the cuff. It's the Spirit of Christ who has the power and the authority to go throughout all the earth, bringing in the harvest, promoting the kingdom of God, showing people the one way to the Father, the man Christ Jesus. This is all from on high. Now in this situation, he gave them Authority in the sense that now they were able to go throughout the towns and villages throughout Israel and perform wonderful feats, miracles. Now, I'm not here to say that when you have the authority of Christ given to you, that all of a sudden you're going to start performing miracles. That's not the point. I don't believe that's the point anyway. There was a, there was a reason he gave them these powers in that day and age. And we could talk about that for much time. But we don't have that much time. But what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate to you. Is that Christ. The authority over heaven and earth is with you. And he will give you the power to do all the will of God. For you. It may not be God's will for you to speak in tongues. To heal a person. To cast out a demon. But there are some things that we know are the will of God. And we're going to look at some of those in the coming verses. First, let's go through here. As he says, The names of the twelve apostles are first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So he's naming the twelve primary disciples of Jesus. Jesus did have different groups of disciples, but these are the twelve that are the most intimate even within these 12, he had Peter, James, and John that were even more intimate. And John was the most intimate with Christ over all of the rest. Then there was a circle of 70. And then there was a circle of 500, at least, that we know of. 
Um, but these are the 12 primary disciples that Jesus had that are recorded in Scripture by name. And these, it is stated, were given these miraculous gifts to go throughout Israel performing the will of God. And we're going to go see here, starting in verse 5, what it is Jesus is telling them to do. But first, the rule number one that we're going to look at here is that we are to go in the name of Christ for the glory of Christ. In the name of Christ, because Christ is the one giving them his authority to go out. So the, the rule number one for, for disciples, for the followers of Jesus, we're supposed to go out in the name of Christ, under the authority of Christ. We're not supposed to go out in our own name. We're not supposed to go make a name for ourselves. That's contrary to the scriptures. It's contrary to the gospel. If your name is being promoted, then you are in the way of the gospel for somebody. People will come and follow you, not Jesus. You may say things that Jesus said, but at the end of the day, if your name is what they see, then they're following you instead of Jesus. We are to go out in the authority of Christ. We're not supposed to try to establish our own authority. And then he says here in verse 5, Then the twelve, these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but... Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so here he said, rule number two. I'm going to summarize this for you in a modern script. Go to those who are ready first. Start there, okay? He says, go to, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, why did he say these things? What does he have against Gentiles and Samaritans? In fact, Samaritans lived within, within the property boundaries of, of Israel. But Jesus says, don't go to those people. Go to the household of Israel. I'll talk about that a little bit. And I'll tell you why I say rule number two is go to those who are ready. Gentiles had very little understanding of this Messiah teaching. Except through the tales of the of those dispersed through the different exiles that is that um, happened with throughout the last several hundred years, um, the Gentiles they operated according to a, a religious platform that didn't really know much about a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah. They had their own gods, they had their own religions. There was no there was no background. They didn't know the Old Testament teachings. They weren't waiting for a Messiah. They had become, and the Samaritans, they knew about a Messiah, but they were, you know, if, I were, if we were to put a reference point in our head about Samaritans versus Jews, um, Samaritans were isolated in their worship, they had become religious outcasts, and they were basically the, the modern equivalent of Mormons to Christians, okay? Mormons have their own scriptures. They, they say that their scriptures are the real scriptures, the complete scriptures that have been lost over time, but now has been discovered and revealed. Samaritans kind of had some of that as far as in regards to Jewish teaching. So they had a completely different uh, mode of worship, and they were isolated from the rest of the Jewish society. So they were kind of operating on their own over here. It had been for many years. Now, as we know from scriptures that the Gentiles were reached, the Samaritans were reached, Jesus himself reached a town, a whole town of Samaritans. So it's not that Jesus does not love these people. 
He's simply giving the disciples a reference point, a starting point. Go to those people who are ready. These people, um, in our modern context, okay, is Jesus telling us, oh, if, we're, if you are going to start ministering on behalf of Jesus, spreading the gospel, you've got to go take a trip to Israel. You've got to start there. Because if we're going to take this literally in our modern context, that's what we'd have to do, right? Have to all get plane tickets, take a mission trip over to Israel, and start witnessing there. And there are many people witnessing to Israel, to Jews. So I'm not saying that would be a bad idea. If you want to go over to Israel and start witnessing, have at it. They need Jesus too. But he's saying, start with the Jews because I am their Messiah. I am the one who's been prophesied in their book. I am the one who came to fulfill the law that God gave to them, not the Gentiles. So they are the, one who are ex- the ones who are expecting me. They are the ones who are looking for me. Those are the ones that know that they need me and they're waiting for me. They're waiting for my rescue. They're waiting for my redemption. So go to them and tell them that their redemption has come. The Redeemer has come to save them, to bring them up, to, t- to get them out of the miry clay. Now, how do you and I look at that today? How would you, who do you consider to be people who are ready, who are waiting for the solution to their problem? Things that come, people that come to my mind is when I was in, still living in the Chicago suburbs, there was a ministry that I just couldn't stay away from. It's called Wayside Cross Ministries. It was a ministry that where drug addicts or people who are straight out of prison would come and they would live there for several months and they would be helped to be brought out of their addiction, help their life turn around. But it was also all revolved around the ministry of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just trying to solve an earthly problem, but also primarily trying to solve an eternal problem that these people had. And these people were so receptive because they knew their life was messed up. They knew that the things that they were seeking after was not, were not working and they wanted out. That's somebody that comes to my mind. Somebody who knows that they're screw up and they need a solution that they cannot provide for themselves. They know that their life The whole trajectory of their life that they've worked so hard to build, it's not working. And they need some answers. That's somebody that comes into my mind. Or prison ministry. People who go into, you know, chaplains in prison ministries see people coming to Christ all the time. Why? That harvest is ready. Because those people, many of those people, I'm not saying all these people, people are stubborn whether their life is messed up or not. (laughs) Okay? And I've also ministered in juvenile detention centers where, yeah, you have the stubborn kids who want nothing to do with Jesus, but there there are many who are ready to turn their life around because they've seen the destructive nature of their lives and they're ready for a change. These are some people that we can consider in this command, okay? There are people who are not ready. And some of us perhaps know some family members they're just stubborn. They want nothing to do with Jesus. It's not that we don't minister to those people. We should minister to those people. Just like Paul sent, or Jesus, God, Jesus sent Paul to the Gentiles. Jesus himself ministered to Samaritans. But if we're going to focus our conglomerative efforts, we need to reach people 
who are ready. Because that's where the harvest is white. Jesus said that not too long ago. The har- in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. There are people out there who are ready that we're not going to because we're afraid of them. Because they look gross. They smell bad. They've done things that are, are terrible that we don't want to talk about. It's awkward. And we judge them. We look down upon them. When Jesus is saying, I have come to save those people. Go to those people because they're the harvest that's ready to bring in. We look at that harvest and we think they're rotten. <laughs> Jesus looks at that harvest and says, they're ripe and ready. And we need to go to those people. We need to get over ourselves and our comfort zones. And go to those people because those are the people who are ready. Mark chapter 2 verse 15. If you want to look there real quick. Mark 2 15 says, As in his ear reclined at table in his house, talking about a Matthew, uh, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the, but the sinners. There are many people in this world who think they're okay. That they're fine. They're better than those other people. Now the Pharisees... They, you don't really find many Pharisees following Jesus. Nicodemus, Joseph, of Arimathea. But we see hordes of sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, the gutter people that we, we might call them. We see hordes of them following Jesus. People with no name, no ambition. We see hordes of those people following Jesus. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Pharisees, you think you're fine. You don't really think you need a Messiah. You just want to promote yourself by hanging out with me. Come to my parties. These people are following me because they know they need me. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, Well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears, 
and wiped them with her hair. You, have, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who else in that, at that table was given peace from Jesus? Who else at that table was given forgiveness from Jesus? Nobody but this prostitute. Because those are the type of people Jesus came to save. Those who know their miserable need. All of us have a miserable need. It's just there's only some of us who actually know it and are willing to admit it. 1 Peter 2, 24-25, and we'll end with this. I told you we wouldn't get too far. 1 Peter 2, 24-25 says, talking about Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Did you see that? He told them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We are like lost sheep, straying with no protector. But now in Christ. We have been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. How? Because he says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. A lot of you have been trying to heal your own wounds for many, many years. A lot of you have been trying even to atone for your own sins by various degrees of sacrifice and service trying to make yourself feel worthy of something, maybe not of God, but of maybe even your own favor. We like to think well of ourselves. But he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, if we are going to receive forgiveness like that prostitute, that prostitute was given a gift that many well-to-do, maybe even well-known Christians have not received. None of those Pharisees received the gift that this prostitute received, even though they had spent their lives studying and sacrificing and fasting and praying and tithing. They've spent their whole lives doing these things. They didn't receive the gift. This prostitute who has spent her whole life in the beds of other men receives a gift of forgiveness and eternal life because she knew her need. She was ready for forgiveness. She was broken down. And she knew that she had no hope outside of herself. Therefore, she could receive forgiveness. For it is by grace you are saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. And according to Christ's instruction, these are the people we should be starting with in our ministry. As Christ sends us out with his authority, who do we go to? Well, first, you need to determine within yourself if you are that person who has come to the point where you have been broken of yourself and you are ready for the Messiah to take hold of you, to forgive you, to transform you, to give you his mercy and his grace. Have you ever come to that point? Would you be like that woman sitting at Christ's feet, weeping, spending your life's work poured into this bottle of ointment over his feet and crying and weeping? Would you ever be caught dead doing that? Or is that too beneath you? Would you even be caught in church crying because of the message of repentance, of grace, of mercy? Or are you too, too big to be caught crying in public? This woman came into this house of a Pharisee, a place where she had no place being. Risked everything, risked ridicule to come just to be at Christ's feet because she needed him. When was the last time you felt like you needed Jesus? You just needed to be at his feet. You just needed him to give you his mercy and his grace. When was the last time you recognized your need for that? If we're going to go give this message to other people, you need to have the message in here. You need to have received it. And then those of us who have received it truly, we are not just supposed to sit back. You know, we are supposed to sit back sometimes and just enjoy it. Did you ever do that? Just sit back and enjoy the gift of God that you've received, just dwelling on the grace of God. Yeah, sit back and enjoy it. But then go out and give it to other people. That's what this passage is all about. This is the rules of engagement for the disciples of Jesus. Your disciple of Jesus, he's sending you out. And who's the first? In his authority, you're trying to build his name, not your name. And what else? We're supposed to go take this first and foremost. To those who are ready, we need to think as a church, as individuals, who is most likely to be ready for a Messiah? Who is most likely to be ready for a Redeemer, a Savior, a Forgiver? Who is ready for that? Let's go and spread the seed in not the stony, you know, okay. So you have the parable of the farmer who sows seed on all sorts of ground. This is a parable, it's meant to teach us something. But we, sometimes, we're spending all of our time throwing our seeds on, on ground that we know is stony, when we also know that there's some good ground over there. Does a good farmer start with the worthless ground? Does the good farmer start with the ground where you can see the shale popping up everywhere? I mean, is this, is this plot of land between the dormitories where we really want to start growing a garden? <laughs> With all the stone everywhere. No, it's not. But sometimes, that's, that's what we're content ministering with. Not to say that those people don't deserve to hear the gospel, just like you and I do. We heard the gospel by the grace of God. Everybody deserves to be, to be told the message of the grace of God. They don't deserve the message, 
But as far as you and I are concerned, they deserve to hear it as far as what I should be willing to do. Okay? Nobody's beyond me or you. But let's think, who is the fertile ground that has the best chance of bearing fruit? Let's go to that ground and start farming. Let's go do that as an individual, as a church, or whatever. And we can't go much further here for the sake of time. But let us look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is not ours. It's been given to us as a gift because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And let us seek his power, his authority, his grace to go in front of us. Let us enter into the will of Christ. Let us enter into the mission of Jesus Christ. Let us stop sitting back hoping that Jesus will show up in your life. Go and show up in his life. That's what you're called to do. That's what ministry is. Ministry is not just praying that the Spirit will do what you want to do. The ministry is entering into the will of Christ, entering into the commission of Christ, seeing what God has already revealed to be his will for you and going and doing it. That's what ministry is. Ministry is not about you. Ministry starts with seeing the authority of Christ and serving the king. Or serving the king. You are not the king of your life. I am not the king of my life. I am not the authority of this church. You are not the authority of this church. Jesus is. We follow hard after him. We do the things that he did. We go where he has told us to go. So let us not neglect these prickly people who are actually the people who are the most ready to bear fruit of repentance. In the, in the, in the name of Jesus. And let us look into our own hearts and see have I ever actually repented? Have I ever actually received this free gift of eternal life myself? Have I ever known the burden of my own life and sin and handed that over to Jesus and received his free gift of grace in Jesus? And then if we are confident in that, go forth and give it to other people. If we're not confident in that, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. A number of people in this room would be happy to talk to you about it and try to help you fill in some gaps, give you some scripture. Please do not be a stranger because your eternal life is at stake. And so is the eternal life of hordes of other people who are ready for a Messiah, but nobody's going to them yet. Let's go to them. Lord, I thank you for being our good father I thank you for being a father that we can trust, that we can rely upon, that we can be truly satisfied in. And Lord, let us be content to sit at your feet, to be with you, to dwell with you, to abide in Christ. And let us be so satisfied in you that we can't keep it to ourselves. Let us see the world around us that is the dead parts. And let us go see that it bears fruit, that it may not be a good ground that goes to waste because nobody went and planted there. Lord, guide us in your truth. Guide us according to your will. 
May we search it out. May we find it. In Jesus' name.